So we're in this series called Getting Along, and where we're looking at principles that we believe help our community of faith or any community of faith through conflict and change. And these are things that we think are not only important for, a commu- or for any community, they're also important for relationships in general. Like So th- these work in marriage relationships, these work within our family and our homes, these even work in, uh, in our workplaces. They work in all relationships and help to develop and increase and build community. So we talked about things and quickly recapping them. Uh, we talked about unity, that this is not agreement, but it's patience uh, and humility and having love towards one another, that our attitude is humility and our way is gentleness. And I noticed that there's a handful of these five principles of community uh, on the table in the lobby if you want to grab one uh, as I go through these quickly. Uh, the, then, and so really, as we do these, we can ask ourselves questions like, what does this look like for me at home? What does this look like at work? What does it look like at school for me to uh, seek out unity? Uh, culture is always changing is the second thing we talked about, that sometimes it changes quickly and other times through decades of slow transition. But Culture always changes, and as the church, we want to be watching the culture so that we we can lead the culture through change. And then we talked about the Bible, and that the Bible has truth for all of humanity, and that is an invitation to explore life. It's an invitation to explore spiritual things, and it's important for the Bible to be real. And so what's it mean for the Bible to be real? Well, that's asking the question, what does Jesus say about my home life? What does Jesus have to say about my work life? What does Jesus have to say about my church life? What does Jesus have to say about me? Those are the kinds of things that when we can answer those questions, we can discover that the Bible is real and it's authentic and it's an opportunity for us to explore. And then last week we talked about the famous, uh, well, famous for me, I've uh, heard this for many decades, but uh, I introduced for some of you the the statement, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And so what is most important to our faith? What is, if we were to drill down or boil down our faith and say, this is what is most important, what is it? And then what are some other parts of faith, the non-essentials, that's not important? And then can I love someone who has a different list. And again, you can pick that flyer up and read read those there uh, in much greater detail than what I just shared. But today is our final message in the series. It's the final principle. It's the most challenging of all the principles, I would suggest. It requires lifelong learning and practice. And it's up on the screen now. It's better to be loving than right. It's better to be loving than right. It's the most challenging and requires lifelong learning and practice. Kelly and I, my wife, who's sitting over here, were young 20-somethings trying to figure out how to have a marriage relationship. Uh, I was 25. She was 21. Uh, We got married. Everyone said we were too young. Of course, that made me want to get married even more. I was beginning seminary. She was in her last year of college. We had no money. Everyone said, you're too poor to get married, which made me want to do it even more. We moved into student housing, which at the time on our campus was a um, cinder block 
two-room apartment. It had a kitchen that flowed into the living room. Not open concept. Don't think anything like that. There wasn't enough room for open concept. And a bedroom that flowed into the bathroom. And so you, we had our couch and our kitchen table, and you could sit at your kitchen table and put, the feet on the, put your feet on the couch. You watch TV from any room in the house. And it was in that space that we began to create and figure out relationship. And it's where I first began to understand, although I couldn't state it, but I began to understand the statement, it's better to be loving than right. I remember coming home. Now, I came home after we had had a heated discussion. Do you remember that first year of marriage, if you're married, those heated discussions, right? They weren't arguments. They were discussions. And I remember walking in the door still upset because I felt that I was right, but Kelly was saying I was wrong. It was about right and wrong for me in my 20s. And I went up to her and I said, how come whenever we fight, I'm always the one who apologizes? Pretty good, right? And she said, because you're always wrong. Now, she doesn't like when I tell that story because she says it sounds embarrassing. It's embarrassing in that it seems like she's always right and I'm always wrong. And for the most part, as I've discovered after 30 years, it kind of is like that. But what I also discovered is that she was the, it was the first time I met someone who didn't back down to me. And I cared enough about her and our marriage that I couldn't walk away. Where other times, if I didn't like somebody because they didn't agree with me, I would just stop being their friend. But all of a sudden, I was in this relationship where I had to figure out how to deal with these things. But yet, I still always thought that in an argument, there was a right and a wrong, and I always wanted to be right. Sam Levinson says, it's up on the screen, love at first sight is easy to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for a lifetime that it becomes a miracle. <laughs> I thought that was really good. Why is it a miracle? Because it's hard. It's hard. And so 30 years later, we've had more arguments, and we both took our turns apologizing and I believe we've discovered and are discovering that it's not about who is right. It's about loving each other. Because it's better to be loving than right. Now, we have to pause here because whenever it's a message about love in the church, I know that it's real easy to just hit the snooze button. Right? To say, I already know about love. We've got this all figured out. It's just love. I mean, every song on the radio is about love. It's easy. It's an easy one. I would suggest don't assume that. Don't turn off. While the message is simple and it sounds easy, it just flows so easy. It's better to be loving than right. It's not simple. The attitude and the action and the position of that statement is a lifelong challenge. And 
it will, and I want to add always, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway, and it will always be met with opposition. That there's always an opposing force whenever love is involved. That there are those who will say, that's not the way to do it. There's another way. There's a better way. So I want to share with you a clip from um, Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, she was famous earlier this week. Uh, I think it was on Monday. And is it, are we ready? See, I don't see that on the back. Oh, we're good to go. All right. All right. I don't think I need to intro this. Ready? Go. So, yeah, so, so Ellen uh, comes out saying those things, and not everyone agrees with Ellen, but yet Ellen is, you know, she's the queen, right? I mean, she's got this power. She has Ellen Tube. I said go to YouTube. And, and Meredith's like, no, you go to Ellen Tube if you want to. Oh, oh, okay, I didn't know that, okay? Uh, so, and, and everyone's like, this is a wonderful statement she makes, right? Be kind to, be kind to everyone. Yet people were upset with her. There's opposition. There were people, even people in Hollywood, who disagreed with her and said some things about her and her decision. How could be kind to everyone be controversial? But she was stating in different words, it's better to be loving than right, and it's going to be a lifelong challenge. It's going to be met with opposition. It's better to be loving than right. So the Bible refers frequently to the all-importance of love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. And Paul said love is greater than faith and hope, and it's how we fulfill God's law. And as a lifelong challenge and, and knowing that we'll be met with opposition, as Christ followers and the church, it's our calling to put others first, to live in the way of Jesus. But love doesn't mean avoiding all conflict or do, just doing whatever people want. As a matter of fact, last week I shared the story about Paul and the church in Rome, and Paul was writing to Christians in Rome, and that some were Jews and others were Gentiles, but all were now Christ followers. And as they're following Christ, there's this Jewish Christians who were following Old Testament laws about food, and while there were Gentile Christians who were following other laws and ideas about food. There was also some arguing about what days were holy because these two groups of people who had celebrated different holy days before they were Christ followers were now seeking to incorporate these, these religious traditions into their faith walk with Christ. And so Paul says to them, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Now, i got to stop there because notice he says, stop passing judgment. So what were they doing? They were passing judgment, right? So he said, so stop passing judgment on one another. And then what Paul does often is when he tells you to stop doing something, he says to start doing something. So in other words, you had all sorts of time for judging others. So now fill your time with this. So he says, so stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So Paul says, he like kind of like says, look, here's how we do this. Here's how people with different ideas can choose to live together and different understandings is decide what's most important. And if it's not most important, then what we can do is we can start to think, how will someone else perceive my activity or my action and so put the other person in front 
because I don't want to cause someone else to stumble. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, I eat a lot of meat. I love meat. I went the other day to Whole Hog in Mount Laurel. Yeah, I made myself a whole hog that day. I had their burnt ends. It was these giant cubes of meat, like three by three, and you got three of them. I could have ate six. I just, and it just melted. And you know the fat that's on there? Oh, it's like meat jelly. Oh, oh, oh. Now, there are others of you here who don't eat meat. And I've offended. I wouldn't bring you to whole hog is the point I'm trying to make. And you wouldn't bring me to vegan palace. Because if I did, Paul says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. You're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ has died. In other words, Paul says, it's not that important. Don't choose to bring that to the potluck. It's not that important. And then he goes on and says, for the kingdom of God is not a, not a matter of what we eat or drink, those non-essential things, and we could put whatever else you might want to put in there for the non-essentials, but it's of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. And then he says this, so then, summarizing this whole thing, he says, so then, let us aim for harmony in the church. Now, if you're aiming for something, what's that make it? It's the target, right? It's the goal. So Paul says, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Then later on, Paul summarizes with this, and he says, accept one another, then just as. Now, whenever there's just as, that means there's a comparison, right? So he's saying when, you are, or when you're going to accept someone, do it like this. He says, accept someone then just as Christ accepted you. That's a high bar, isn't it? While the message is simple, the attitude and the action and the position is a lifelong challenge, and it will be met with opposition. And so Paul shared his message of love with another church as well. Uh, this time it's the church living in Corinth. And he said this, it's up on the screen. So no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And this is the message version of that. And before that, he talks about, if I had incredible wisdom and knowledge, if I knew all the mysteries of the future and everything about everything, or he said, if I could do amazing religious things like speak any language, or if I could move mountains because my faith was so extraordinary, even if I had incredible generosity. And so he talks about all these things that sadly often are admired in church world, right? And also in home world and work world and school world. He says, but no matter what I say, believe or do without love, 
I'm bankrupt. I'm bankrupt. And so then it begs the question, and I want to challenge you with this this morning, how would living this way of love impact or change my world? My church world, my home world, my work world, or my school world. And then Paul goes on to define love this way. It's up on the screen. Love never gives up. Don't read ahead. Let's pause there. Love (laughs) never gives up. Just stop for a second and think about that. Love never gives up. It's a commitment. It's faith-filled. It's dependable in the darkest moments. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Self needs to take a second place when love's involved. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. See, love serves. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love is humble. Love isn't always me first. It's second place again. But notice it says always. Because there are some times in love when you do need to be first. One of the things I really, I know I mentioned this a lot, but if you're not on a setup team, You really need to be on a setup team. I was describing it this way to a group of pastors I was with. I said, I said, it's kind of neat because we have worship from 1030 to 1130, but the church shows up at 830. And during that time, there are often opportunities where I am encouraging other people. We're putting a screen together and I'm, you know, asking, how's your day? How's it been going? What's it been like? And so there are times where I am putting someone else first. And I'm doing my best to love on them while we're putting screens together or putting chairs out. And then there are some other times where I'm just having a bad day myself. And someone comes along while we're putting that same screen together and I'm kind of cranky or kind of distracted because a lot of things are on my mind or something that's going to happen later in the day. And I notice that they're encouraging me. That's what the church does. It isn't always me first. And love doesn't fly off the handle. It's patient. It's even keeled. Paul's not done. He goes on. Continue to ask yourself, how would living this way change my world? Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It's forgiving and forgetting. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything, which begs the question, how can I do that? Paul answers it. Love trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. He's repetitive here, isn't he? It's another forgetting and forgiving statement but keeps going to the end. Remember what we started with? Love never gives up. And it keeps going to the end. 
It's committed. It's dependable. It's faith-filled even in the darkest moments. It's better to be loving than right. And that simple statement will change your family. It will change your marriage. It could change your workplace. It is the key ingredient in healthy community. And while the message is simple, the attitude and action and position is a lifelong challenge. And there will be pushback. And it will be met with opposition. So why is this so important? Why would this be one of our key five, five principles? And why would I suggest that this is the key ingredient? Because love leads to harmony. What did Paul say in Romans? Let us aim for harmony in the church. Now, I uh, looked up harmony. I have zero musical skill. I can sing the songs because the lyric is on the screen, but I have zero musical skill. So I looked up, Googled harmony, and found this. Harmonious elements have a logical relationship or progression. In some way, they work together and complement each other. And then it says, see Susie Wilson. <laughs> so Susie, could you do me a favor? Could you, could, yes, you can be, yes, we'll, we're going to audition. <laughs> please, please go to the piano and give us a harmonious chord. Is that the right thing I should say? Give us one. All right, she can keep her job, right? Now, in that, there was this logical relationship or progression, and those notes all worked together and complemented each other, right? Now, something is not in harmony when a jarring element is added, something that doesn't seem right. It's said to be dissonant. It's said to bring tension. It's like an off note in a musical performance. She doesn't even know how to do it. I'll do this part. <laughs> now, can you feel it? Right? You just know it, right? Now, I don't, I, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I can't figure out which note was played out of place, but I can tell when it happens, right? We can sense when things are not in harmony. We can just feel it. It's just inside of us. And love leads to harmony. That's why I believe that when there's a healthy community of faith, like what I believe we have, that it is attracting, attractive to people because they hear something different than that. And there's this tension that they feel. And then they come into a room where they experience a moment with a group of Christ followers and they feel something different. Love leads to harmony. And then I found this out when you Google harmony. Harmony leads to unity. Harmony leads to unity. 
it said this, unity is created by using harmonious similarity and repetition, continuance, proximity, and alignment. Isn't it amazing how something so beautiful could be ruined by a definition? And it goes on, enclosure of design elements in different parts of the work so that the parts relate to each other and create a unified whole that can be greater than the sum of the parts rather than an ill-fitting and meaningless assortment of elements. Couldn't that almost describe the body of Christ? That me, by myself, it's just me standing here. But together, our gifts and graces and, and our talents are brought together in such a way that it creates harmony, which leads to unity, and it's a beautiful piece. It's better to be loving than right. It's the key ingredient in any healthy relationship or community. And it leads to unity, which is not agreement, but harmony. In a healthy community, there will be moments of disagreement. In a healthy marriage, there will be moments of disagreement. In a healthy family, there'll be moments of disagreement. In a healthy work environment, there'll be moments of disagreement. But when there's harmony, which leads to unity, when there's, excuse me, when there's love, which leads to unity, there can be harmony. When our attitude is humility and our way is gentleness, when we can discern the essentials and be unified around that. When we can offer liberty or freedom to those things that we may choose to disagree on. When we can love people who are different. That the Bible speaks of truth for all of humanity. And that we watch the culture because we want to lead the culture through change. Because there's a world out there that doesn't hear this and doesn't experience this. And it's desperate to know of that kind of love. And that isn't my idea. Jesus said this. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I love you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. This is how everyone in Mount Laurel will recognize that you are my disciples. And then he says this, when they see the love you have for each other. It's better to be loving than right and it is a most challenging challenging statement it will take a lifetime of practice and it will lead to harmony which will lead to unity which will be the most attractive thing the world is desperate desperately wants to see we began this series by looking at a video. It's called Where's the Love? And 
we wanted to close the series with that video just in case you may have missed why this is so important for us. We live in this hate-filled world, hate-filled language, hate-filled rhetoric, hate-filled and selfish actions against each other. So as you go, I pray that you would go knowing that there's a God that loves you with his whole heart, that he loves you enough that he would rather die than live without you, that he chose to leave his throne in heaven so that he could reign in each of our hearts and lives forever. And I pray that as you leave here, you would know that, and that you would know that there's a world out there that is desperate to know of that kind of love, and they will see it, and they will hear it, and they will, they will understand it as something unique and different as they see us loving each other and as they see us demonstrating love in the world. And I pray that that would be our desire. I pray that that would be our our challenge. And I pray that as we go into our work week, that we would be inspired to demonstrate that love to the world. Amen. Have a great day.